Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Monday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL and 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. We got a lot to get into. There is a lot going on in the sports world. The Super Bowl is set. We have an AFC champion. We have an NFC champion. We have controversy. And we got a heck of a storyline going into Super Bowl 57 from Andy Reid, his former team against his current team, to the Kelsey brothers, Jason for Philadelphia, Travis for Kansas City. We got a lot to get into. We got a schedule for Florida State. That was released tonight, a football schedule that we'll go over. We got a pro bowler now for the Jacksonville Jaguars as Jamal Agnew officially named to the, what do they call it? The reinvented pro bowl games. So Jamal Agnew now will be able to play dodgeball and uh, some flag football action and uh, things along those lines with the reinvented pro bowl games. The senior bowl in Mobile, Alabama. It is Senior Bowl week, which really kicks off draft time in the National Football League. And we also have some news about the Jacksonville Jaguars and the rest of the NFL. So we got a lot to do. We're with you till 10 o'clock. We're glad you're with us. Here's what the guest lineup looks like coming up in less than 25 minutes. Monday night coaching with Campo. My man Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. We'll talk NFC Championship. We'll talk AFC Championship. We'll talk a little Jaguars as well with Dave Campo coming up in about 20 minutes. Coming up at 9 o'clock, let's go to Charlotte, North Carolina. Mike Kay of the Charlotte Observer, formerly here at First Coast News in Jacksonville, also has covered the Philadelphia Eagles for NJ.com. I want to talk to Mike about a couple of things. First off, Frank Reich, a guy we're very familiar with here in Jacksonville the brand-new head coach of the Carolina Panthers. What does that mean for Carolina moving forward? A couple of former Jaguars and C.J. Henderson and LaVisca Chenault on that team as well. What does that mean for them moving forward? Mike also covered Philadelphia for many years, so we'll get his take on Jalen Hurts and the Eagles winning the NFC title yesterday. And at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times-Union as we'll take a look ahead to the Jaguar offseason, now six weeks from tonight until the start of NFL free agency Monday, March the 13th. So we got a lot to do. We're glad you're with us. How about this to kick it off? Are you kidding me? I'm in a good mood. I got a fresh head shave earlier today. Very excited about that. The hair was getting long. Had to take care of it, so I feel good. I feel refreshed, and I have in my hands a pair of tickets for you to go see the Florida Gator basketball team. Is it Wednesday night, Denmark, February 1st? February 1st, 7 o'clock, volunteers. Uh, Tennessee, a top 10 opponent for Florida, certainly a very good Tennessee team coming into Gainesville. If you want to go see Florida 
and Tennessee men's hoops down in Gainesville. Simply be caller number four right now at 641-1010, and Dylan Denmark will hook you up with a pair of tickets to Tennessee and Florida on Wednesday night down in Gainesville. With that, we always open up the show with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. We have a Super Bowl matchup that is set. First in the NFC. Boy, I'll tell you, I was all fired up. I was settled in to watch San Francisco, Philadelphia, clearly the two best teams in the National Football Conference, really since about Halloween or so. You could argue Philadelphia has been the best all year. But San Francisco was, what, 12-1 and since the Christian McCaffrey trade with McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and George Kittle. <laughs> and then, unfortunately, very early in the game, Brock Purdy goes down with an injury. Brock Purdy was the third 49er quarterback to go down with an injury. That's almost unprecedented. They lost Trey Lance. They lost Jimmy Garoppolo. Yesterday, they lost Brock Purdy. Josh Johnson came in the game. Now, let me tell you about Josh Johnson. 15 or so years of professional football, 13 teams. Here's all you need to know about Josh Johnson. That guy played against Jacksonville University back when he was at the University of San Diego, and his coach was Jim Harbaugh. That's how long Josh Johnson has been playing in the National Football League as he played against JU and head coach Kerwin Bell. So Josh Johnson has been around for a little while. Obviously, it did not work out for Josh Johnson. They lose the game. Brock Purdy has to come back in after Johnson was in concussion protocol. Purdy couldn't throw the ball downfield. Today, we find out why. He has a tear of his UCL joint. They're hoping he's back in six months and won't require Tommy John surgery. So, I mean, that is a devastating injury for Brock Purdy. And it goes to show you, you can have all the talent in the world. You can have your Debo Samuel, your Brandon Ayukes, your Christian McCaffreys, your George Kittles. You can have them all. You got to have a functional quarterback, man. And the Niners could not do anything yesterday. I do think, and I, I don't think it would have mattered necessarily yesterday, but I do think you need to take a look at the emergency quarterback. You need to take a look at being able to have three quarterbacks, a third emergency guy that doesn't count necessarily against your 45-man roster. Perhaps that would have helped San Francisco yesterday, but uh, give credit to Philadelphia. They played a wounded team, but they took advantage of the situation, completely dominating the Giants a week prior and completely dominating San Francisco. So Philadelphia, head coach Nick Sirianni, quarterback Jalen Hurts, and one of the best defensive fronts you'll ever see. What is it, 78 sacks for that Philadelphia defense in 19 games this year? 17 in the regular season and two in the postseason absolutely dominating. They're your champions of the NFC. They play the Kansas City Chiefs, and I don't know about you, but watching that game yesterday, 
just made me feel um, kind of dirty a little bit. Felt uh, some anguish when the game kicked off because that could have very easily been Jacksonville. Christian Kirk makes that catch. Foyer Lewican intercepts that pass. A couple of things go the Jaguars' way. Could have very easily been Jacksonville. Alas, it wasn't. It was Kansas City. It was Cincinnati. And it was everything it was, it was built up to be. And I didn't really even think Burrow nor Mahomes played that good a game. The talent around them was just nothing short of outstanding. I mean, Cincinnati played a phenomenal game. Kansas City's defense, Frank Clark and Chris Jones just manhandled the Bengalo line. I know the Bengals had some injuries on that offensive line, but good grief, man. You know, people talk about Aaron Donald being the best defensive lineman in football. I'm not so sure anymore. Chris Jones is a ferocious monster. And to think that guy could have very easily been nothing more than the guy whose pants fell down running the 40 at the NFL Combine. Remember that? He's the guy who's, uh, I don't know how graphic I want to get here, but just Google Chris Jones in the Combine. He know ran your the, role and shut your mouth. Yeah, he ran the 40, and Chris Jones, uh, you know, had some uh, exposure problems on live TV running the Combine, but he has recovered from that, and he has turned into maybe the best defensive lineman in football. And to that point, Travis Kelsey yesterday after the game Patrick Mahomes yesterday after the game, Chris Jones, Frank Clark, even Patrick Mahomes' family yesterday after the game made reference to Burrowhead, made reference to the cigars that Joe Burrow smokes, made reference to obviously the Cincinnati mayor where Travis Kelsey pulls a Dwayne The Rock Johnson, tells him to know his role and shut his mouth, called him a jabroni. You jabroni! Which I loved, by the way. Um, don't tell me bulletin board material doesn't matter. Bulletin board material does matter. That game's not over five minutes. The Chiefs are talking about it. They were fired up to have an opportunity against Joe Burrow, against Cincinnati. And look, Cincinnati, they talked. Give them that. They talked, but they did not close the deal. Kansas City did. The big play everybody's talking about, Joseph Asai. The personal foul, late hit out of bounds, a couple of things here. Number one, it was a personal foul. Uh, you can't do what he did. Number two, I felt horrible for that kid. Horrible. He played his tail off, man. He absolutely played his tail off. The game of football is awesome. The game of football is unbelievable. But it can also be a very cruel game in a night like last night for Joseph Asai. Because he arguably was the best Cincinnati pass rusher last night. He was in the backfield. He was making plays for a 22-year-old. He was making it happen in the AFC Championship game. And unfortunately, for clearly the next seven months, he's going to be known for one play. And it's hitting Patrick Mahomes out of bounds. And, and you know, we think of these football players as gladiators, right? You think of them as warriors and, and everything they do to take the uh, football field of battle, if you will, every Sunday. But last night, we saw the human side of players. Joseph Asai, a 22-year-old, mind you, he's just barely a man. I mean, he, you know, he was in college, what, 365 days ago, just sobbing on the sideline. And it's just like, man, 
That That's the human element. That's the part that we rarely, rarely see. And I got to tell you this too. B.J. Hill is an interior defensive lineman for the Cincinnati Bengals. Kudos to him. That guy could play on my team any day of the week. Because I don't know if you guys saw this in the postgame locker room as all the Cincinnati media is just gathered around 22-year-old Joseph Asai, who probably hasn't had, you know, five media members in front of him the entire year. Last night he had 50 in that locker room. And B.J. Hill, a veteran, is standing right there with him shoulder to shoulder telling media members to back off. Those are clown questions. What are you doing? And that's the sign of an unbelievable teammate, man. The sign of an unbelievable teammate. So, Joseph Asai is a good football player. Hopefully, this is not what he's known for, you know, three, four, five years down the road. Unfortunately, it is what he's known for right now. And uh, give Kansas City credit because uh, that one play did not decide the game. There were many things that decided that game. Patrick Mahomes' touchdown pass to Marquez Valdez scaling was, I mean, a magician. He's a sorcerer. I don't know how else to explain it. Mahomes' touchdown pass to Travis Kelsey, same things. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is uh, just unbelievable. And if you want to look at any proof of that, in case you needed more proof of that, most postseason wins five years into their career, I believe he surpassed Joe Montana last night. I think the number is now 10 postseason victories in the first five years of his career. Montana had nine. Brady, I think, is the leader at 14. So Mahomes is on that type of pace with a Tom Brady. But uh, Mahomes and Burrow, we're going to see that rivalry for a while. And they were talking about that last night, how this is going to be maybe the next Manning and Brady. I don't think so. All right? Not to mention the fact, look, we got a guy here in Trevor Lawrence. But you got a guy in Los Angeles and Justin Herbert. You still got a guy in Buffalo and Josh Allen. You got ridiculous quarterbacks. Can Deshaun Watson find his old form in Cleveland? What's going to happen with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore? Um, So the bottom line is, and by the way, Tua was on pace to be in that conversation. And we find out on Friday, a month after the Dolphins stopped playing him, he's still in concussion protocol which is certainly a scary thing as of Friday. But the quarterbacks in the AFC are absolutely ridiculous. We know all the names. We know that none of them are over 27 years of age. Mahomes is the elder statesman at 27. And I agree, Mahomes and Burrow is going to be good, but I don't think it's going to be Manning-Brady-esque, at least in the postseason. Because with Herbert and Lawrence and Allen and Watson and Jackson – There's just too many good quarterbacks that are going to be pressing them year in and year out. But it is Philadelphia. It is Kansas City. We will certainly talk more about that game the remainder of this week and as we get into next week with Super Bowl 57 scheduled to take place 13 nights from tonight. As I mentioned, the Jaguars have a pro bowler. Congratulations to Jamal Agnew for getting named to the pro bowl. The Jaguars had a legit argument to have a bunch of guys considered. Uh, There's not a better punter in the AFC than Logan Cook. So why he's not in the Pro Bowl, I don't know. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, Jamal Agnew is in. You know, Trevor Lawrence, there was certainly an argument that he should have gotten some consideration. There was probably an argument for Travis Etienne. There was probably an argument for Christian Kirk. 
there was definitely an argument for Foye Aluakin to get in, but at least they got one. And Jamal Agnew officially named today to the Pro Bowl. Uh, Doomer Bay, the wide receiver in Baltimore, the kick returner had to pull out. So Jamal Agnew is in, and congrats to Jamal Agnew. Now he will represent the Jaguars in the Pro Bowl this upcoming weekend. As I said, the Senior Bowl festivities are underway in Mobile, Alabama. I was thinking about this on the drive-in. Isn't it interesting when you're not picking in the top five? You know, we're going to talk Senior Bowl, and we're going to, you know, maybe have a couple of guys on from Mobile this week, and I'm certainly going to keep track of everything going on. But wasn't the Senior Bowl like the end-all, be-all here in Jacksonville for a while? I know back when I was on primetime, we would go out there and we would do week-long live broadcasts because that's what happens when you pick in the top five, right? You want to go out there and you want to look at everybody. And we said at the time, do they even know about the Senior Bowl in Foxborough? Do they even know about the Senior Bowl in Pittsburgh? It's probably not as big a deal to teams like that as it was to us. And now all of a sudden, after a divisional playoff run, the Senior Bowl kind of sneaks up on you a little bit. It's this upcoming weekend. Weigh-ins are tomorrow. So here we are as the offseason really gets underway out there in Mobile, and we'll have updates coming up throughout the week here on Hacker After Dark. So much more on the NFC and AFC championship games, more on the Jaguars. We will touch upon some college ball as well. There is an offensive coordinator out in Coral Gables. Josh Gad has shown the door late last week. Georgia Bulldog offensive coordinator Todd Munkin uh, reportedly in play for the Tampa Bay offensive coordinator job in the National Football League. We also know Jim Bob Cooter, the Jaguar passing game coordinator, has also interviewed with the Buccaneers for that offensive coordinator spot. So we got a lot to get into, Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us on a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark, the hacker, Ryan Green with you. Coming up next, it is Monday night coaching with Campo. My man Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Let's talk NFC Championship. Let's talk AFC Championship. And let's talk a little Jaguars as well with Dave Campo. He's next on Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Now, Campo's Coaching Corner on Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Championship Sunday in the books. The Super Bowl is set. Let's talk to a man that knows all about that. He has three Super Bowl rings from his time with the Dallas Cowboys. That's, of course, our guy Dave Campo, former head coach there in Dallas, always kind enough to join us here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, how we doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed uh, the weekend and having a chance to watch those playoff games. And uh, to be honest with you, I, I think uh, the Jaguars held their own against Kansas City. Yeah, there's no question about that. Look, we got a lot to get into from the championship games. Got a couple Jaguar things to discuss as well. Let's begin first and foremost, Coach, with the AFC championship game. Last night, Cincinnati, Kansas City, what a game. Comes down to the wire, and everybody's talking about that play where Joseph Asai hits Patrick Mahomes out of bounds, 15-yard penalty, gets the Chiefs in the field goal range. They win the game. That was a 22-year-old that had played his tail off, Coach, for the Bengals, and he was 
devastated yesterday. You could see him just sobbing on the sideline. It was almost hard to watch. I'm not sure why CBS kept showing that, to be honest. As a head coach in that position, what do you say to a young man like that? Well, first of all, you know, uh, I was sitting there, obviously I was sitting there watching the game with my wife. And, and when the game was over, you know, my wife made the comment, you know, uh, why is he still sitting on the bench and pouting and this and that? I said, Kay, I said, you don't understand. You know, that kid played his tail off, like you said, for the entire football game. He's an excellent player. And from what I understand, a, a really good young man. And he got caught up in the moment. And when you're going full speed and he knew that if, if you know, him making that run, that they had a chance for a possible, uh, you know, getting into field goal range, that he had a chance to make a first down. And he was trying everything he could to get there. And he just made a bad decision. And that's a shame. Uh, although when it comes down to games in this NFL, you know, I've said from day one, it comes down to two or three, four or five plays. And, you know, early in the season, the Jaguars were making those kind of mistakes. I don't get real upset with a guy that's playing uh, full speed, uh, and, but you just have to use some common sense in that situation. And obviously, he was just trying to, to do something to have a chance to win. I thought his teammates were spectacular in the postgame locker room. I don't know if you saw it, Coach, but his teammates were basically standing next to him. B.J. Hill was standing next to him as the media is asking him questions basically saying, that's a clown question, don't ask that, that's ridiculous. And, you know, and the, the good questions, Asai answered. But I thought his teammates really stepped up for that kid last night in a very, very tough situation in the postgame. Well, I think that's why the, they were there. You know, the teams that get to the, to the final uh, two or four, you know, are, are, are team guys, especially on defense. And, you know, of course, I lived it for 46 years and was able to play in three Super Bowls and, and a national championship game. And the one thing that sticks out to me in all of those, uh, with all those teams, is that there's a great camaraderie in the locker room. And I, I really don't think you get, people talk all the time about all the firepower and all the things on offense, and especially on defense. Uh, you don't get to that point without playing pretty decent defense when you get into the playoffs. And a lot of that is defense is just emotion and and love for one another and playing hard for each other. And And I still think that's a huge part of the game, regardless of whether it's a professional athlete or a college athlete. Those guys play because they love the game. Uh, for the most part, every player is there because they love who they're playing with and, and their teammates are really important to them. Former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, Dave Campo, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Coach, I thought it was interesting in the postgame as well. You know, these guys are professionals. Uh, so we very rarely talk about bulletin board material when it comes to games like this yet in the postgame Travis Kelsey alluding to the Cincinnati mayor Patrick Mahomes talking about Burrowhead uh, Frank Clark Chris Jones talking about Burrowhead and how the Cincinnati Bengals had been talking that Joe Burrow you know owns that stadium uh, it was obvious after the game that the Chiefs knew what was being said and and whether you call it motivation, whatever, 
it was probably something if Cincinnati had to do over again, they probably would have kept their mouth shut. Well, I think that's true. I mean, you know, even Burrow said they don't have any cigars, but they're going to enjoy the post game. So it's in the guys' minds. I don't necessarily think that it makes a difference necessarily in the final outcome of the game, but there's no question that those guys want to let it out after the game. And, you know, that's kind of what you see there. I think it does, uh, you know, maybe give you a little bit of incentive to, to play just a step faster or whatever. Uh, it's a little different in, in the National Football League. I know this. We talked all the time about keeping your mouth shut before a ball game and let your pads do the talking. So uh, I don't think that that was smart on the mayor's part, and I don't think it was smart on some of the players' part with the Cincinnati Bengals. Coach, over decades in your career, you've seen some unbelievable quarterback-wide receiver combos. You worked with one every day in Dallas and Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin. I got to tell you, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey is one of the best ever, and maybe when all said and done, though they might even rival you know Brady and Gronk. You know, two or three years down the road, those guys are borderline unstoppable when they're on. And again, last night. Mahomes and Kelsey are the reason the Chiefs won the game. Well, you know, there's no question that you get a a, a guy that's, uh, you know, that they, they are on the same uh, wavelength. And there was nothing to me more in Dick. Well, a couple things. Number one, you know, we were all upset with Kelsey catching 14 last week. I don't know what the final was. How many did he catch? Uh, last night, I have to, I'd have to look, but I know he had some key ones, including that yeah. touchdown. He had to have close to 10. I know that for sure. And that's what you're talking about. But the one that stuck out to me more than anything else was when he stepped up in the pocket and he made that throw to him for the touchdown. The guy was not open. And as soon as he saw him break the pocket, he slid back inside and he and he hit him with it. Uh, that one there, he threw almost before the guy made his final move. And that to me is a, an example of that chemistry that, that, that you get with the quarterbacks get with certain players. And, you know, there's no question that that shows up with Mahomes and Kelsey. Yeah, Kelsey last night, seven for 78 and a touchdown. That puts him at, what, 21 catches in two playoff games this year uh, for Kansas City. So they're off to the Super Bowl. Andy Reid off to another Super Bowl. And he will play his former team as the Philadelphia Eagles take out San Francisco. Dave, let's talk about San Francisco first and foremost. Um, the injury problems yesterday. I've never seen anything like it. They had already played three quarterbacks. Brock Purdy was the third quarterback. He goes down, and you have to bring in Josh Johnson, who's been on 13 NFL teams over his 15-year career then he goes down, and Brock Purdy has to come back in and can't functionally really throw the ball because of his elbow. I think the NFL really needs to look at the third emergency quarterback and putting that back in to not have that count against your 45-man roster. But that aside, have you ever been in a game or seen anything like that where San Francisco, due to injury, could basically do nothing on offense? No, not really. Not with the quarterback position. You know, you saw it a little bit in the AFC game with uh, the receivers going down for Kansas City. You know, that changes the whole uh, dynamic. But when your quarterback goes down, 
you know, that's a whole different thing. You know, that guy's the guy. And, you know, Josh Johnson had some experience being with all those teams. Uh, but the problem is he doesn't get enough reps during the course of the week, especially with a quarterback like Brock Purdy, who's going into his first, uh, you know, big time uh, championship game in the NFL. You know, he was going to take every single rep he could to make sure they had a chance to win. And once, uh, you know, once Josh Johnson went down, that playbook went to uh, about 12 plays, all running plays. And, uh, you know, that was a shame because I think that would have been a decent football game, although I think Philadelphia is the better team. I think that would have been a decent ball game had he not gone down. I think Philadelphia, I mean, uh, San Francisco has enough firepower that they could have made it a game. Coach, I just have to ask you after watching that yesterday, why can nobody stop the Philadelphia quarterback sneak? <laughs> you got me. <laughs> you know, they just, it's just, the, the whole thing has uh, changed since they uh, put in the rule that you could push a guy. You know, back in the day when I was coaching, uh, you couldn't push the pile. And so, you know, that has made a big difference because when when the guy run, when they run a quarterback sneak, the officials don't blow, blow the whistle immediately. And so that gives a chance for the, the pile to get moving. And that's really what, what happens. All the, the defense, there's only so many things you can do defensively, and that's to load up the gaps and, and blow the gaps and try to get lunch lower than the opponent and have one guy up for the jump but the push is what makes the difference in the quarterback sneak today a couple of more for former dallas cowboy uh, head coach dave campo he's always with us here on hacker after dark on 1010xl and 92.5 fm coach we'll preview the game next week we're still 13 days away but an early early thought um kansas city went through trevor lawrence and joe burrow Philadelphia went through Daniel Jones, Brock Purdy, and Josh Johnson. Philadelphia, two blowout wins. Kansas City, two hard-fought competitive games. I know a lot of people love Philadelphia because of their dominance they've shown. I got to tell you, this Kansas City team is certainly more battle-tested, and I, I'm an early lean to Kansas City right now. Yeah, uh, I would say that uh, the difference between the two teams is, in my opinion, and again, I haven't studied those guys, but just watching them from afar, you know, I saw Philadelphia during the year and I saw Kansas City during the year. And then, of course, watching them yesterday, I think Philadelphia has the deeper roster and is more balanced. And when I say that, I think Philadelphia gets a lot of mileage out of their physicality and their their toughness and their mentality. And, you know, to be honest with you, when you look over the course of time, the NFC has been more of a power league as opposed to the AFC, which has always been more finesse and, and, and firepower. So I think that's what you're seeing in the ballgame this weekend uh, or next weekend. Uh, the, the problem is uh, that uh, you don't know how Kansas City's receivers are going to come out uh, after the injuries that they had yesterday. So. I really think that Philadelphia probably has a little bit of the edge because of their balance and their toughness. And uh, I think the quarterback is, even though he's a little banged up, is executing at an MVP level. And, you know, I, it's going to be a good game. Every game in the playoffs comes down, in my opinion, to, to uh, you know, who's got the ball last and some of those type of things most of the time. 
I'm looking forward to a great Super Bowl, and, and I'm hopeful that Kansas City uh, receivers come back and that Mahomes has an extra week to get ready, which is big. That's why they go two weeks uh, before the Super Bowl to give the best players a chance to get on the field. And, and I'm looking forward to a really good Super Bowl game. Final moments here with our head coach, Dave Campo. Coach, a couple of Jaguar tidbits as we wrap up. Wide receiver coach Chris Jackson has left to take a job at the University of Texas. Nothing against Chris Jackson, but I don't really want to talk about him as much as I want to talk about the process. You being a former head coach, you had to deal with this on a yearly basis. Doug Peterson, does he have a a Rolodex of potential wide receiver coaches that he could call, relationships from the past. How does it work to replace an assistant coach like that? Well, first of all, that's a new thing. You know, in the old days, nobody went from the NFL to college because of the pay scale. Now things have changed to where the colleges are just as, uh, you know, financially rewarding as the NFL is. So, you know, I don't blame Chris, like you said, for, for making a move. Now, there's no question that Doug's got guys in mind and he's had guys in mind for every position. And that is a Rolodex. I mean, you know, you've got some guys that you've been around before. Uh, there were probably some guys that he uh, kind of targeted along with Chris Jackson because he, they, he had no way of knowing necessarily that Chris Jackson would join him in the first place. So there are guys out there that he's, kind of targeted now the problem that you have in the national football league that you don't have in college is that contracts make a difference in who you can get and who you can't get so you can't always get exactly who you want so he's going to be looking at the dynamics of the of the room who's out there the guys that he has knowledge of that he's really uh, respects and and uh, you know likes and thinks he will fit in with everybody. And, and I go with the Jimmy Johnson rule that the, the, the ability to, you know, fit with the coaching staff and the, and the culture and all that is almost more important than the ability to just the X's and O's and the technique coaching. So he's going to have some guys that he thinks fit in, and that's who he's going to go with. I don't think he's going to just go out there and arbitrarily – try to find the best coach in, in pro football. I think he'll go with somebody that he's familiar with and knows that he will fit in. And coach, final question, something similar along those lines, passing game coordinator, Jim Bob Cooter has interviewed in Tampa Bay for their open offensive coordinator spot. We don't know what the outcome of that's going to be yet, but is that the same process? Knowing you've had a guy interview for another position, are you accumulating guys to get, uh, on the phone immediately in case Jim Bob Cooter does ultimately leave? Absolutely. And I think that that's, uh, you know, what you, what you're hopeful of as a, as a uh, head coach is that you do well enough that people want your assistance. And now you've got to make a decision whether or not you can match that assistant financially or, or whatever the situation is. And the one thing you can do in the NFL is to move from one position to another, uh, being under contract as long as it's an upgrade. And I would say the upgrade from passing game coordinator to offensive coordinator would be one that he can make that move. He will have guys that he's looked at that he feels comfortable with. Uh, whether or not he can get them or not, that's going to be the, the question as they go forward. And obviously this staff he's put together are, is a good staff. He's going to have this problem right along as long as they keep winning.
And again, we'll see what happens with Jim Bob Cooter, but he did interview in Tampa last week. Our head coach here on Hacker After Dark is Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Coach, thank you for the time. Next week, we will preview Super Bowl 57. Again, there's not a better guy to talk to. You got three rings on your finger from your time in Dallas. Coach, we'll do that a week from tonight. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk soon. You got it, Hack. Uh, enjoy it, and uh, have a good week, and we'll talk to you next week. There you go. Our head coach, Dave Campo, here on Hacker After Dark. And, yeah, it's a pretty good source when it comes to the Super Bowl. That guy is an assistant coach in Dallas, has not one, not two, but three Super Bowl rings. And I've seen them at his man cave there. It's uh, very impressive to see uh, what Dave Campo did during his coaching career in the National Football League. We have a schedule for Florida State. We knew who they were playing. Now we know when they are playing them. Some interesting things about the schedule released tonight by the Knowles. Clemson, a lot earlier than it has been in years past. Some tough road games for Florida State as well. Let's talk Florida State 2023 football schedule. That's next. Hacker After Dark on a Monday night in Jacksonville, Florida, and we are glad you are with us. Until this very moment where apparently I am a cocky and an arrogant Florida State fan, which I just, quite frankly, found pretty amusing. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Oh, we got a football schedule tonight. We have got a football schedule, ladies and gentlemen, for the 2023 Florida State Seminoles. A team that uh, should be pretty good, right? And a lot of their guys have come back, including quarterback Jordan Travis. Mike Norvell, again, has just cleaned up in the transfer portal. One of the best transfer portal classes in the country. There are going to be a lot of expectations. There are going to be a lot of things expected of Florida State in 2023. Here is the way it looks. By the way, the spring game will kick it off Saturday, April the 15th. The Garnet and Gold game, 4 o'clock. They're at Dope Campbell Stadium in Tallahassee. Florida State season will kick off Sunday night, September 3rd, same as last year, the Sunday of Labor Day weekend, this time in Orlando against LSU. That was a two-game series last year in New Orleans, this year in Orlando. And I got to tell you, I'm not sure if you're going to find a better game in the country. Both Florida State and LSU, probably what, preseason top 15, maybe both preseason top 10. That is going to be a heck of a scene in Orlando. Can Florida State beat LSU two years in a row? We know how the last year ended with an amazing ending uh, with that uh, missed extra point there to end the game. So LSU on September 3rd. Saturday, September 9th, the home opener for Florida State as they welcome in Southern Miss, the Golden Eagles into Tallahassee. The Golden Eagles won there in 1989, I believe, with a guy named Brett Favre. I don't expect that to happen in 2023. Florida State then goes back on the road Saturday, September 16th at Boston College. 
that shouldn't be a problem. Boston College was terrible last year. I don't really expect Florida State to have an issue there. But here's where the schedule is different than it has been in years past. Saturday, September 23rd, week four at Clemson. That is massively moved up compared to where it's been in years past. So Florida State's first four, LSU and Orlando, home to Southern Miss, at Boston College, at Clemson. That's a tough start for the Knowles. They then have a bye week on Saturday, September 30th. In the month of October, they have three consecutive home games in Tallahassee. On October 7th, they're home to Virginia Tech. On October 14th, they're home to Syracuse. And on October 21st, they are home to the Duke Blue Devils. Dare I say Duke is probably the toughest of those three. Again, Vatek, Syracuse, and Duke all in Tallahassee, October 7th, 14th, and 21st. Saturday, October 28th, Florida State travels to Wake Forest. It'll be a very different Wake Forest team than what we've seen in years past as they have lost a lot of players to the portal and to graduation. Saturday, November 4th, Florida State goes to Pitt to play the Pitt Panthers. Saturday, November 11th, Florida State hosts Miami. The final home game comes on November the 18th against North Alabama, and the regular season concludes on a Saturday this year, Saturday, November 25th, Florida State travels to the Swamp to play Florida. Denmark, here are my early impressions from Florida State's schedule. I want yours as well. It's interesting Clemson has moved up, so you got LSU and you travel to Clemson in the first four games. After the bye week on September 30th, I don't think they have a problem with Virginia Tech. I don't think they have a problem with Syracuse. Duke, eh, Duke's a good team. Duke's good, uh, is very well coached. But come on, it's Duke in Tallahassee. Florida State should win that game. At Wake, at Pitt, I think Pitt might be tough. And then it's Miami, North Alabama, and Florida. So a very manageable schedule, Denmark, if they can get through those first four. If they get three and one, In the first four, Florida State may be a legitimate contender for a playoff conversation to me. Yeah, I see 10 and 2. I mean, tough start. I guess I'd say a tough end, but I mean, the end is just a little harder than the middle of the schedule. Um, I mean, it is the ACC. FSU should be the favorite. I don't know what the odds are, um, but FSU and Clemson should be the two top teams in the ACC. And I mean, that the FSU-LSU game, that's probably the hardest game on their schedule, and it's week one. So, Well, and you look at it, their toughest games are away from Tallahassee. They play LSU in Orlando. They have to travel to Clemson. They have to travel to Pitt, and they have to travel to Florida. The home schedule, look, nothing against the season ticket holders, you folks that bleed garnet and gold to travel over to Tallahassee, but yuck. Your home games next year, Southern Miss – Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Duke, Miami, and North Alabama. Good grief. Aside from Miami, and when Duke is the second best game on your home schedule, that's not a very good home schedule. So Florida State's going to have to be road warriors next year. But again, with Jordan Travis returning, 
guy like Jared Verse, who would have been a first-round pick, he's coming back. There will certainly be a lot of expectations on the Knolls here in 2023, and with good reason. They were a 10-win team last year at 10-3. and I expect more of the same coming up this season. All right, we'll go to Charlotte, North Carolina, coming up in just a bit. Mike K, formerly of First Coast News here in Jacksonville, now with the Charlotte Observer. I want to talk about Frank Reich to Carolina. I want to talk about LaVisca Chenault, C.J. Henderson, how they're both faring now, still in Carolina. And I also want to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles with Mike. He covered them for the last four years as they are now NFC uh, champions once again. Before we get there, had an interesting situation today with my mother. Um, I'm 39 years old, all right? I'm not going to tell you how old my mom is, but if I'm the youngest in the family and I'm 39, you know, you can probably do a little math on that and figure out roughly how old my mother is. And she is one of the sweetest ladies on planet Earth. Uh, Love her to death. Mom hacker, she is the absolute best. But she's really not up to date with today's pop culture or I guess 20 years ago's uh, pop culture. So I'm over there today with my mom. I was helping her assemble a tent, an indoor tent that we got for my my son that he can play with when he goes to grandma's house, play in like forts and whatnot. And she's telling me about this show that she started watching, I guess on demand. I don't think she stays up late enough to watch it, but apparently it's on the learning channel. And she said, you know, I've been watching this show but I did not know what the title of it meant. I had to Google it. And I said, all right, well, what was the title? <laughs> My mom, she goes, um, yeah, it was. it's this show called Milf Manor. And, and I did not have any idea what that was, so I had to Google it. And Ryan, that is unbelievably nasty. <laughs> And I said, uh, yeah, I mean, what do you say to your mother when she just finds out what that means 20 years after American Pie was released? I mean, come on, you know? I, I just probably turned bright red and started laughing hysterically. Um, yeah, so my mother had to Google what that meant, and uh, well, she found out, and I get the sense she probably won't watch that show again. Did she think, so did she think it was a good show? I, yeah, she she said she enjoyed it till she found out what the title was. And again, it's Milf Manor, and she, she did not know uh, what that meant. So I guess you can Google that, and it comes up pretty quick, Denmark. Yeah, it's uh, essentially mother. Oh, I like no, to hang people out. Know. People I like know. to hang out with. Yeah, people know what it means. Well, I'm, I'm sure there's like a you know probably about a 15% of our audience listening right now that has no idea what it is. Uh, maybe I would I, I would know. think that number might be high. I think our audience is kind of young. We're the hip show. We're, remember, we're the nighttime <laughs> show. All right, a lot of folks in their 50s, 60s, and 70s probably aren't listening at 8:58 yeah. Eastern Standard. Have you time. watched it yet? Have I watched Milf Manor? Yes. No, I, Milf Manor has not come across my TV now, set. Now, okay, here's a here's a proclamation we can do. You know, girls get together for The Bachelor and all these movies on romance. Why don't since football season's over, 
guys get together on Sunday night and they get to watch Milf Man. Now, you, How about that? you have apparently seen this program. Yes. Uh, what is the premise of Milf Manor? So it's like seven or eight of these moms, and they are trying to find love on this Mexican island in oh, Mexico. Okay. And they have they try they get set up with uh, the other moms' sons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the moms are in the age range from forty to sixty, and all their sons are in their twenties. And uh, wow, it's a good show. This is on the Learning Channel. Yes, TLC. They, you know, it's you know, ninety day fiance, six hundred pound life, thousand pound life, milf manner. Wow. All right. So yeah, but uh, I don't know if anybody's ever been in the situation where their mother was explaining to them what, uh, you know, what milf meant. But I told her I didn't really need an explanation. I got it. There's only one way to explain it. Yeah, I, I, I was with her. I knew exactly what it was referring to, but. Uh, I guess Denmark gives it a two thumbs up, seal of approval. So if you haven't checked out uh, MILF Manor on TLC on Sunday nights, I guess Denmark would uh, would highly recommend that. One hour down, one hour to go here on Hacker After Dark. We are at halftime. As always, we are streaming for your viewing pleasure on Twitter, at 1010XL on Twitter. You'll see the show there until 10 o'clock tonight. Likewise on YouTube. Just go to 1010XL on YouTube. You will see the show there until 10 o'clock this evening. With Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. Let's go to Charlotte, North Carolina. Mike K of the Charlotte Observer. Let's talk Frank Reich. Let's talk Philadelphia Eagles. Let's talk NFL with our man Mike K up in Charlotte next on Hacker After Dark. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The championship games have been decided. The Super Bowl is set. And we got a couple of new head coaches in the National Football League, including one there in Charlotte, North Carolina. With that, let's go to our man Mike Kay of the Charlotte Observer, formerly of First Coast News here in Jacksonville. Mike, I haven't talked to you since your move to Charlotte, man. Congratulations. Hey, uh, thanks Thanks for the uh, hearty welcome. Uh, yeah, uh, I've kind of been everywhere, man. Like at this point, um, it feels like Jacksonville was like 20 years ago, but really <laughs> it's, it's only been uh, five. So, uh, yeah, I'm here in Charlotte after covering the Eagles for four years. And um, I got here kind of mid, well, you know, week four of this past season. And so it's been a whirlwind since I got here. It has been a whirlwind, and, uh, boy, you get there just in time to see a coach get fired. Uh, you get there just in time to see a coach get hired, and you get there just in time to have a little controversy on top. So a media guy, uh, that's just got to be, uh, be unbelievable for you. Let's kind of start back uh, with Matt Rule. What happened, Mike? Why did that not work with Carolina? I think, you know, I only covered him for two weeks, but I just kind of think the NFL wasn't much of a fit for him. He was a guy who was used to having that kind of college overarching control, and that's just not the way things really operate in the NFL outside of maybe New England. So, you know, he made some poor personnel moves. They never nailed down the quarterback. Uh, He started in the middle of COVID, which kind of prevented him from really getting to know veteran players I, I think there were some some mishaps in messaging I, 
I just think it just didn't work. I mean, it, like there were so many things you could point to, none of which were probably the catalyst, but the quarterback position was probably the biggest one. You know, and, and amidst all that turmoil and, and all the losses that piled up and a coach getting fired, interim coach Steve Wilkes had them controlling their own destiny with like two weeks to go in the regular season before the you know the season ended, did not go well in the final weeks. But a lot of people thought Wilkes was going to get that job, Mike, and when he did not last week, kind of raised some eyebrows a little bit. What was your thought on that whole thing? Listen, I will tell you this. You know I've coached – I mean, you know I've covered a lot of coaches in my career, and I have never seen a coach galvanize a locker room that quickly – um, he's a guy who's very transparent, very intense, but also very relatable. And I think he did an, a phenomenal job, frankly. Um, I don't know what more he could have done to earn the job. I think it was just a matter of, you know, David Tepper really wanted his offensive guy. This franchise has never had an offensive-minded head coach. And, you know, he wanted somebody who could really – develop a quarterback take a quarterback by the hand and really get him through and I know Frank Reich has had a revolving door in Indianapolis uh, and it had didn't work out very well for him I, I think there's a belief based on especially what he did in Philadelphia that he can really get the most out of a young quarterback Mike Kay of the Charlotte Observer Frank Reich the brand new head coach with the Carolina Panthers you know it's interesting I've seen a lot of people on social media, Carolina fans, and I even want to say maybe a media member or two up that way, that are making the comparison is Frank Reich Carolina's Doug Peterson with what Doug Peterson did here. Now, certainly Carolina doesn't have a Trevor Lawrence. We'll see what they do in the draft and, and, and what happens there. But is that the thought process that you bring in a guy like Frank Reich who, who worked with Doug Peterson? And is that kind of the blueprint that Carolina is trying to follow? I don't think it's like that. I think it's more of a Bruce Arians thing. It's not like Frank Reich was a Super Bowl winner. He never won the AFC South, which you guys know is no, you know, war zone. Um, I think he's a guy who had some glimpses of success in his previous thing. And then the logic is that he's learned from a lot of his mistakes and can maybe get it right the second time around. We've seen that time and time again in the NFL with Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll, um, Andy Reid. I mean, there are guys that have success in their first stop, and then it kind of it's time to move on. In that second trial run, uh, you get this this success, and I think that's the way they view Frank Reich. I also think they. They knew that if they were not going to hire Steve, that they needed somebody who could be instantly relatable to the locker room. They needed someone who uh, could be both a nurturer and a developer. And I think Frank kind of fits those molds. In a lot of ways, you know, all things being equal, I do think the move makes sense. I don't think it's a very interesting hire. I don't know what the upside is or his ceiling is, but I think they view this as a low floor because Matt Rule was an epic failure for David Tapper, and I think they're trying to kind of just get this this project off the ground. 
Of course, we're very familiar with Frank Reich from his days at Indianapolis. He's now the brand-new head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Mike Kay of the Charlotte Observer here with us. Right now, Sam Darnold is is the quarterback in Carolina. Uh, I can't imagine that's in the future plans. What is uh, the thought process about getting a signal caller up there, potentially any trades that could be worked out, anything draft capital-wise, Mike? What's the idea going forward? They have the ninth overall pick in the draft, which is not going to be good enough to land a top three quarterback in this draft, in my opinion. Um, I know they really like Will Levis. Uh, I know prior to Steve Wilkes not getting the job, Anthony Richardson was being talked about. C.J. Stroud kind of fits the Frank Wright dynamic the best of the prospects, and I think in order to get him, you're going to have to trade into the top three. So that's that's a situation that bears watching. I do think they'll bring in a veteran stopgap quarterback um somebody of the Jacoby Brissett or Gardner Minshew ilk that kind of knows the system uh Gardner Minshew spent the last two years in Philly Nick Sirianni is a protege of of Reich maybe their you know their language and their play calling is relatively similar and maybe that's an easy transition Jacoby Brissett obviously played for Frank for uh, three years and so he has an understanding of the offense well I I think that what they're going to try to do is build this team to win long-term, which is, you know, there are teams that start out the gate hot and then implode. Um, Like Minnesota to me strikes me as a team that, that overachieved immediately. Um, And I think O'Connell's a good coach, but I do think they're, they're due for a massive regression next year. Then you have teams like the Jaguars and the giants who really benefited from coaching. Maybe they don't have the most talented roster, but they had the guys who could get the most out of the roster. And then I think, you know, Sirianni's a really good example of a team that kind of just took it in stride to, like, rebuild on the run. So there's plenty of ways that you can do that. Uh, They need help on all three layers of their defense. They need a quarterback. They need a wide receiver. I mean, there's a lot going on in Carolina. So, But I do think you can earmark that first pick for a quarterback right now. Yeah, Jaguar general manager, former general manager Dave Caldwell did a solid job drafting for the Carolina Panthers because in the 2020 draft, C.J. Henderson went number nine, LaVisca Chenault went number 42, and both guys have found their way to Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, what about those guys, Mike? How have they performed, and uh, are they in the future plans there? My response would be, yeah, what about those guys? <laughs> um, listen, I think C.J. is a guy who – who is like both ends of like the talent spectrum. At one point you'll see him make an unbelievable interception. The next you'll see him like give up a massive play. Like the overtime loss to Atlanta was wild. He went from making a potentially game winning interception to then giving up the game losing touch. Like there's, or the game tying touchdown. So there's, there's a, that one's like an up and down experience. I think he's better off as a dime or um, sub package player. I don't think that they're going to look for him to be a starter down the road. I think Dante Jackson's going to be the number two corner opposite Jason Horn. They're looking for a nickel corner. Um, and then I think with LaVisca, they, the, at least under McAdoo, they severely limited his route tree. Uh, most of his stuff was behind the line of scrimmage. I think he ran like, five to ten uh if you know what the route tree is and the numbers like i think he ran 
like three of the ten, of the nine to ten, you know, general routes you can run. Um, they didn't really have him run routes beyond ten yards, which is very interesting. Kind of tells you maybe they thought that they didn't want to put too much on his plate. Or they didn't think he was capable of getting separation down the field, which um, either way, that, that looks bad for the Panthers. Yeah, we know all about that from his time here in Jacksonville. Good guy, but uh, he was probably uh, ready to move on, and the Jaguars were certainly ready to move on from him. Final moments with Mike Kay of the Charlotte Observer. Mike, you mentioned your time in Philadelphia covering the Eagles for NJ.com. Philadelphia back in the Super Bowl, taking on Andy Reid. Boy, what a storyline that's going to be over the next uh, week and a half or so. Your reaction to Championship Sunday will begin with Philadelphia's dominance over San Francisco. Well, the last time I didn't cover them full-time and I was in Jacksonville, they won a Super Bowl. So (laughs) history is on their side, I guess. Um, Listen, I think the Eagles have done a very good job of utilizing their talent. I think they are the most talented and deep roster in the league uh, by far. I think Nick Sirianni is a very good coach. Um, I think what's been impressive is Howie Roseman only has seven remaining guys from that Super Bowl team with Doug Peterson. One of them was a backup guard. Now he's a starter. And then two of them are specialists. So you have four starting players on offense combined on offense and defense from that past Super Bowl team. And this team does kind of feel like that 2017 group where they're just like dominating um, poor matchups like they like. They've had a pretty easy road to the Super Bowl, <laughs> but at least in the playoffs between the Giants and the and the beat up 49ers. And I think, look, the referees were clearly given a memo to over referee these two games like damage control style. And so um, I think the Eagles took advantage of that when you face a fourth string quarterback and then potentially the third string quarterback again, who's got a major elbow injury you're probably going to win that game. They got turnovers. Hassan Reddick continues to be the best free agent signing the league seen since Tom Brady joined the, the, the Buccaneers. Um, he had 16 sacks, and I think he has like four in the last two playoff games. So uh, that's been special. I think, look, the Chiefs-Bengals game was all over the place. It literally had everything, right? And um, the better team, in my opinion, the Bengals were the better team, in my opinion, but I think when you have the better coaching and the better quarterback, that you, that's the ultimate equalizer. And finally, Mike, you spent so much time up in Philadelphia. Uh, Andy Reid, that's going to be probably the storyline, the Kelsey brothers as well. But to Andy Reid, I, I mean, how is he thought about in Philly? And certainly, uh, boy, if Andy were to win another one, I think there's a real conversation there for uh, you know where he sits in the pantheon of great head coaches in the NFL. Well, my opinion, um, and and from a personal standpoint, uh, I think it's no secret that I grew up uh, a Philly guy. Like, um, and I will tell you, I have I gained so much knowledge and love for football listening to Andy Reid explain his scheme, um, and you get a little bit of that with Doug Peterson. Uh, I think he is the second best head coach of the modern era right now. Um, I, I think from 1990 and on, I think Andy Reid is number two on that list. And I think in Philadelphia, 
there's a little bit of revisionist history. Like, yeah, he went to all those NFC title games, but he never won a Super Bowl. And so I think the younger crowd doesn't really appreciate what he did, but he really turned that franchise around. I think Jeffrey Lurie deserves a ton of credit for hire. Every single one of his five hot, uh, head coaches has won at least 10 games in their first two seasons um, or had a 10 win season in their within their first two seasons. And I think Andy Reid really kind of um, has changed the game. I, I don't think he gets talked about with like the Shanahan offense as, as much as he should, but he's become the modern day steward for the West Coast offense, and he's continued to build it with Patrick Mahomes. It is incredible what Andy Reid has done, what, 14 years in Philly, now 10 years in Kansas City. The guy just keeps going, and it is fun to watch. Mike Kay of the Charlotte Observer, Jacksonville sees Carolina next year, so we will certainly get Mike on during the offseason to see what happens as Frank Reich builds that staff and that Carolina Panther football team. Mike, appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon. Tiger. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Thank you to my man Mike Kay, the Charlotte Observer, for joining us tonight on Hacker After Dark. Frank Reich, the new head coach in Carolina. It appears there's about to be a new head coach in Houston. Could happen as soon as tomorrow or Wednesday. All signs point to 49er defensive coordinator and former Houston Texan linebacker D'Amico Ryans getting the job in Houston Hard to believe that there are still head coaching openings. I mean, it is the 30th day of January. It is Senior Bowl week, and you still have openings in Indianapolis, in Houston, in Arizona. So uh, I would think a lot of these openings are going to be filled probably by week's end would be my guess. I can't imagine them going too much longer into the month of February. And by all indications, D'Amico Ryan's will be a very good hire. It's different. Remember, we're going to a lot of offensive coaching hires now. You look at the more successful coaches, a lot of them are on the offensive side of the ball. D'Amico Ryan's obviously a defensive guy, but that appears to be the direction that the Houston Texans are going. More on that as the week goes on, but let's talk a little Jacksonville Jaguars. Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union will join us. Let's look ahead to the Jaguar offseason. What did we learn yesterday watching Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes? You know, everybody assumes that Jacksonville, the arrow's pointing up with Trevor. I believe it is, but my goodness, the competition in the AFC is going to be fierce for years to come. Let's talk AFC. Let's talk Jaguars. Let's talk free agency. It's only six weeks away. Demetrius Harvey of the Times Union. He's next on a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Championship Sunday in the books. We are now inside of two weeks till Super Bowl 57. There's also quite a bit of Jaguar news going on as well. With that, let's talk with Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Demetrius, how we doing, man? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Hey, Demetrius, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. And from a guy who just saw Kansas City up close and personal about a week and a half ago, you see what happened uh, last night 
with Kansas City beating Cincinnati. What was your thoughts on the AFC Championship game? Certainly one for the ages. Absolutely. It, it was a fantastic game. I mean, obviously, um, we saw Kansas City, you know, what, what they were able to, to do with Jacksonville in terms of um, j- just being able to play within themselves. I, I think that the, the biggest thing is, you know, even without the top wide receivers, you know, Patrick Mahomes is still able to do what what he does, you know, and, and that's sort of what we saw last week, too against the Jags where, you know, even though he had that, you know, terrible ankle sprain, he was able to go in there and execute. It was just a another sign of, of, of you know, greatness from the Chiefs. And I think that, you know, in that game, you saw two quarterbacks, you know, hopefully for the Jaguars' sake, you know, they're, they're in that discussion next year and beyond. You know, those are the guys of, of the NFL, the guys of the, the AFC and, um, and yeah, it was just a, a really fantastic game. You know, one thing that really jumped out to me, and I know I'm stating the obvious here, but watching Cincinnati and Kansas City, not just the quarterbacks, but the entire roster, mm-hmm. Jacksonville better better know that, I mean, they're they're good now and things look like they're, the arrow is pointing up, but that is some unbelievable competition in the AFC and will be for a long time. Oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, the, 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 the talent level of – not just the quarterback positions, but also the both defenses, you know, really young, fast linebackers. Um, the secondary play was exceptional at times. I mean, you have to have both ends of the spectrum. You know, the, the, the running backs, they weren't able to get going too much. But, you know, over time we've seen um, all those teams have more of a balance, you know, set. So it's going to be interesting to see. The, the Jacks have a long ways to go in terms of, you know, being that consistent uh, powerhouse like a Kansas City, like a like a Cincinnati now, um, and and all it takes really is just a couple more playmakers, guys that can you know once you get the ball in their hands, they can go you know sixty yards, things like that. You know T Higgins for the Bengals, and then obviously Kelsey. Um, you know you you can't necessarily match that, but but you can have a guy who is that go to player. I think that those teams both have it. And Demetrius, it's interesting, too, again, Demetrius Harvey of the Times Union. The Jaguars, I don't know how many times this has happened in team history, they played both Super Bowl teams. Uh, They played Philadelphia, lost 29-21 in Week 4, obviously played Kansas City twice in Week 10 and in the AFC Divisional Playoffs. So the Jaguars can definitely speak about both of these teams. You saw Philadelphia as well, just like we did. Now, that was a long time ago, but absolute domination. Now, I would pump the brakes because – Kansas City went through Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow. Philadelphia went through Daniel Jones and a combination of Brock Purdy and Josh Johnson. So certainly Kansas City a little more tested, but nevertheless a dominating performance again by the Eagles. Absolutely. You know, even in week four, I think uh, many said it. I, I know I said it. You know, the Eagles look like the best team in the in the NFL, and um, they, they continue to show their dominance. But, yeah, you're right. You know, the the – the 49ers didn't have a quarterback, you know, pretty much the entire game. I mean, that – and if, if you don't have a quarterback, you're not going to be able to win. Um, and But but the Eagles just showed, you know, defensively, offensively, they're able to run it through anybody. They're able to stop anything. Uh, it's going to be a really fun matchup, I think, for the Super Bowl. Demetrius, I think last week was the hardest week for Jaguar fans. They've gotten through that now. Now you really begin to set your set – or set your eyes on the offseason and what's going to transpire here. I mean, heck, free agency literally begins six weeks from today, so it's not exactly like you have a long amount of time to discuss these sort of things. Quickly, before we look at the offseason, uh, boy, some good news for Jamal Agnew today. The Jaguars finally 
have a pro bowler. He was an alternate, but he gets in due to an injury in the AFC. So Jamal Agnew officially now a pro bowler for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, if there's anybody on the team that really deserved it besides maybe Logan Cook or, you know, you could probably argue Trevor Lawrence after all the guys sort of drop out, um, it was it was Agnew. You know, he, he was a sensational player for the Jaguars, still is. And, um, you know, obviously during the postseason he was pivotal to them. Uh, I know he had the fumble in the Chiefs game, but, you know, that was just a guy trying to make a play. I don't think it really defines him, especially not as a – as a, as a return specialist, but, you know, he made several plays even in that Chiefs game to, you know, help them uh, get over the top. I think without him, they wouldn't have been able to score their first points of the game. You know, there, there are certain things where um, you have to be able to at least, you know, look at a full full body of work for him, and, and he's certainly that one. So, you know, yeah, get kudos to Jamal Agnew. I think that he deserves it. Um, I'm assuming he was the first alternate behind DuVernay or maybe the second alternate, who knows. Um, but, but yeah, he was able to, to do what, what he did this year, and I think that next year they're going to expect even more. Demetrius, it's a business, and we all know that. The roster certainly will not look the same when they return on April 17th. Let's begin with Jamal Agnew. There's at least been some conversation that I think the number's $5 million you could potentially save if you release Jamal Agnew. The Jaguars are projected $22, 23000000 million over the cap, although a lot of that will go away simply by cutting Shaq Griffin, which is the expectation. Is a guy like Agnew, though, potentially in jeopardy of not coming back? Potentially. You know, you, you, you kind of look at the roster and, and you look at the receivers. and Once you get to that fourth and fifth wide receiver, especially with, with Calvin Ridley coming in, um, you don't necessarily want them to have, you know, such a big cap number. You know, Agnew only has uh, 5.8 million next year. You know, you, you could save about 4.7 if if you are to cut him. Um, but but I I really think that he's he's so valuable to the team that that I would just imagine they would want to, um, if not just hold on to him for the number that he's at, or you know just restructure or extend him. Um, I I just think that he's a guy that you can't really let go. There's not very many special return specialists available with the kick returns you know you don't really get too many of those in general because of the because of the rules um but then also the 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 punt returns it's tough to find a guy who's able to do that on a consistent basis so you know for for me i would keep him um but absolutely you know with with the way the cap is sort of set up this coming year for the jags i could totally see them uh, moving on in, in some capacity. Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Certainly Agnew, not the only guy that has a cap number that you could save some money if you release him. We, we've we had the Rayshon Jenkins conversation, although I think that changed drastically over the last two months. He was probably the best defensive player they had over the last two months. I almost think at this point you have to do whatever you need to do to keep Rayshon Jenkins. Look, we've talked so much, Demetrius, and, and you and I will certainly hear about Evan Ingram and Jawan Taylor and Arden Key, but are there any other unrestricted guys that you think, yeah, they need to re-sign him? He's vital, whether it's a, an Adam Gostas, an Andrew Wingard, a Dan Arnold, a Chris Manhurts, anybody maybe that's not getting enough talk about right now that's set to hit the market in six weeks? Yeah, I, I think I think Chris Manhurts is is a guy actually that they should bring back and, and they probably need to. You know, he's he's one of the better or one of the best um, blockers at the tight end position in the NFL. You know, he's he's shown it. He showed it uh, that 
this past season. I know, you know, the, the first year wasn't very good, but that wasn't really good for, for anyone. But, um, you know, what, what he's able to do as far as his leadership within the locker room, he's one of the most uh, well-respected guys in that locker room. I think that there's there's definitely merit to to bringing him back. You know, he's, he's going to be 31, I think, when the season starts. Um, so he, he shouldn't command too big of a contract, but, you know, he's, he's somebody that um, I don't think many people are talking about necessarily to bring back. Another guy, Dewan Smoot, I, I know most people talk about him, but, you know, he's coming off the injury. Um, you know, there was speculation on if, the, if they would let him walk or, or you know, what, what's going to happen with him. But after the injury, it seems like, you know, uh, it, feels, it feels as though you would most likely be able to bring a guy like him back on a pretty team-friendly deal. I don't like to, to sort of, you know, put it that way, but it's, it's something where, you know, he got hurt and, and now they can kind of move, move around with the money and, you know, depending on how he feels next year, um, he could earn more, but, but, but those two guys I think are, are vital to bring back or would be good to bring back. Um, Wingard, you know, he's another guy who, who you could make a, a plan to bring back just because of his special teams ability, but I don't think he's necessarily a guy if he gets, you know, a huge contract offer by some team as a starter that, that you sort of get into a, a, a bidding war with. Yeah, I would agree with that. My one thing with Andrew Wingard is this. You're right. If somebody gives him an opportunity to be a starter, that's different. But Andrew Wingard in Jacksonville, compared to, say, Andrew Wingard maybe getting $500,000 more to sign in Arizona or in Cleveland or name your, name your you know city, mm-hmm. I think Andrew Wingard's got to think about that because – the marketing opportunities he has here, the everything he's got going for him here, would a couple hundred thousand dollars more in some other you know market mean that much? Winger to me is a very interesting one because of how popular he is in the city. Yeah, yeah, you know he he's he's a guy who clearly is very um, fan friendly. You know everybody loves him every time he gets in front of the camera, even if he doesn't really play on defense very much. Um, everyone wants to listen to him just because of the, the, the way he speaks, you know, he gives us those classic uh, catchphrases, obviously he came up with, um, it was always the Jags and, and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the marketing appeal for Wingard here in Jacksonville is probably huge uh, compared to like a Cleveland or a Kansas city or Cincinnati, wh- wh- whatever, because, you know, the, the fans know him, the players know him. I think he's a really good uh, locker room guy as well. So, um, I, I think it makes sense for both sides to want him back. It just really depends on if a team wants to make him a starter. A couple of more for Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. All right, Demetrius, the three big ones. Let's start with the two guys that did those quote-unquote one-year prove-it deals, and I think they both proved it. Certainly Evan Ingram did. You could argue Arden Key did as well. Both guys, when they left the stadium last Monday, said they wanted to be back in Jacksonville. Uh, six weeks until free agency is set to begin on March 13th. Uh, level of expectation for you. Who do you think is more likely to re-sign in Jacksonville, or is there a chance, uh, a good chance both of them re-sign? I think there's a chance both of them will re-sign, but I do think that Evan Ingram is probably higher on their priority list than, than Arden Key. Um, I think that if, if you're going to re-sign Evan Ingram, uh, the expectation for him probably will be to start at that John U. Smith contract that the Patriots gave out, which, I mean, you can argue if that was smart or not, but, you know, they, they gave him $12.5 per year. I think that's probably the baseline. I wouldn't expect anything less. I think he made around $9.1 million or something like that this season. Um, talking about e- e- 
Ingram. So um, it, it, it really depends on, on sort of the, the, the market for him. But I do think that, you know, keeping him at around 13, something around there uh, would make sense. And then for Arden, you know, he's, he's going to be interesting to see because, you know, four and a half sacks, um, you know, f- fun player. He was able to, you know, cause havoc. I think that he was important to their defense this year. But um, is he a guy that you want to pay, you know, $10 million a year? I, I don't necessarily think so. Um, so, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what, what, what they will do. But um, I think absolutely Evan Ingram is a guy who um, who's going to, you know, be back next year. And then certainly the big one is Jawan Taylor. Now that's interesting as well because assuming Cam Robinson comes back healthy and there's no reason to assume he's not, you still have Walker Little and his rookie deal for two years. And Jawan Taylor is going to command a lot of money. He started every game over four years, had his best year as a Jaguar here in 2022, to me, that's one that, that could get dicey. Um, and I guess the question is, if Jawan leaves, is it as simple as just putting Walker Little out at right tackle? Yeah, his value has skyrocketed. I would, you know, I would say that he's probably their most important player to bring back. I think that you you bring back Jawan, you have Cam. He only signed a, a, a three-year contract, so, you know, you only have him for – a couple more years and so you know by the time he's a free agent after the 2024 season you'll still have Jawan. you'll you'll have walker little either if you want to extend him or, or or what have you i think that it just makes sense to bring him back obviously the numbers have to make sense too you know you know with with uh, with cam signing i think for 18 million per 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 year you're gonna have to probably match that or or if not go higher it depends on on how his agent feels but um, you know, if, if, if they do end up letting him go, it wouldn't be the end of the world, depending on how Cam comes back from injury. Um, I think it would be kind of, quote, unquote, as simple as, as putting um, Walker at the at the right tackle spot. But, you know, you still have that question mark because Walker Little obviously didn't play his best game against the Chiefs. And then, you know, you don't really know how he will stack up against um, legitimate talent in the regular season and in the postseason at right tackle. So it's going to be interesting to see, I think, that, um, still their highest priority should be Jawan Taylor. I think that the biggest asset for a team is their offensive line depth. Um, and I think that they sort of made that known. You know, Doug Peterson said, do you like Trevor Lawrence? And and in questioning, you know, if, if, you know, getting his pass protection set up is important, and, and so it is. You know, you, you, you like Trevor Lawrence, you want him to stay up. I think Jawan had a fantastic year pass protecting. Um, so he should be the guy to come back over almost anybody. You know, and Demetrius, as we wrap up, uh, to that point, I've gotten this question a lot. I'm sure you have as well, not to put words in your mouth, but if it is one or the other, you can only keep one of Jawan Taylor or Evan Ingram. Are you on the Jawan Taylor bandwagon there? I think so, yeah. I mean, it it just it just makes sense to me, and, and I appreciate Evan. You know, he's a fantastic person, fantastic uh, player. Um, obviously, he's a great asset to the team, but at the end of the day, I think that that – uh, right tackle position is, is more valuable. I think that you have that depth. I mean, we saw it against the uh, against the Chiefs. You know, for for Cincinnati, you know, their their offensive line depth wasn't as good, and you know, so that that hurt them, especially early on in the game. So, absolutely, I think that uh, bringing back Jawan should be a priority over Evan. But as I mean, you know, I wouldn't want Evan back, obviously. Demetrius, final question: uh, Chris Jackson, the wide receiver coach, left mm-hmm. to take uh, the job at the University of Texas, same position. We know Jim Bob Cooter is in the in play, I guess, in Tampa. He interviewed last week for their OC position. Anything else we should be looking at as far as the staff goes over the next couple of weeks? 
Yeah, I, I don't think there's there's much else in the works, at least from what I've heard. I haven't heard anything necessarily to suggest that anybody else would be leaving or could be leaving. Uh, Jim Cooter obviously is a guy who you know not many people would would know exactly you know during during the season because we don't really talk about those auxiliary guys other than you know um, a Mike McCoy, the quarterback coach. So um, that that was an interesting thing by the. By the Buccaneers to to want to interview him I think that you know he's had experience and that was sort of what what they were going for um for Chris Jackson leaving you know he's he's a guy who obviously you know did well this season the Jaguars receivers were one of the best units on the team um everybody talked about them every week Christian Kirk you know had a career year Zay Jones had a career year Marvin Jones did did pretty well himself um you know so it, it's going to be a little tough to to replace a guy like him, but I don't think it's necessarily the position of, oh man, if you don't have a good wide receiver coach, you're, you're doomed, you know, but um, I, I think one of the names to watch, and I've heard this name, uh, David Coley, you know, obviously the former Houston Texans head coach, he sat out last year after being fired. Um, but, you know, he's had plenty of experience, I think 26 years of experience in the NFL as a receivers coach. He's coached with Doug Peterson with the Eagles for some time. And then obviously with the uh, Kansas City Chiefs as well. So, uh, I think he's a name that makes sense, and, and that could be something to watch uh, this week sometime. Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Demetrius, appreciate it, man. Thank you as always. We'll talk again soon. Yes, sir. Have a good one. And thank you to Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark as we are over a week removed from the Jaguar season coming to an end six weeks from tonight free agency some issues on the coaching staff got to find a new wide receiver coach to replace chris jackson uh, who left to go take the wide receiver coaching job at the university of texas also jim bob cooter the jaguar passing game coordinator has interviewed for the vacant offensive coordinator job in tampa we will see if anything materializes out of that but again thank you to demetrius harvey of the florida times union thank you to mike k of the charlotte observer formally here in Jacksonville, back in the day with First Coast News, Mike now covering the Carolina Panthers. Really enjoyed his perspective on Frank Reich becoming the new Panthers head coach late last week. What former Jaguars C.J. Henderson and LaVisca Chenault are doing up there and how they're doing up there in Charlotte. And, of course, Mike just left the Philadelphia Eagles beat. He was with NJ.com, so enjoyed talking to Mike about the Eagles as they are once again NFC champions, and they will play the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 57 out in Glendale, Arizona, coming up in 13 days. And as always, in hour number one, it's Monday Night Coaching with Campo. My man Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, he's always kind enough to join us here on Mondays on Hacker After Dark. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Tuesday. Are you kidding me? Our late night show, where else would you rather be on a Tuesday night from 10 o'clock to midnight than right here with Dylan Denmark and yours truly, and we hope that you do join us then. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green in Jacksonville. Thank you for spending part of your Monday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us. Here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Monday, and we will do it all over again on a Tuesday, beginning at 10 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.